Hey everyone, I'm Justin Dean. I'm the recovery director here at the River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect, one word, to 97000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. How's everybody doing today? You doing good? I, I was a little convincing. I know it's cold, so maybe we're warming up a little bit. How's everybody doing today? That's better. That's better. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to start this morning by asking a simple question. Have you ever played truth or dare? Many of us have. We've played that game. You know the game where you have to be like man enough or woman enough to answer the question correctly, right? Or to take on a daring act of stupidity. Or many cases of great bravery or be bold enough to answer a very tough question. Um, sometimes the truth can be, the truth or dare can be an exciting game, but other times it can be a tough thing because the question is like, nope, I'll take the dare. I'm not going to answer that question, right? Um, but I'm wondering, wondering if you knew that God actually kind of played a game of truth or dare. And I want to read it from the Bible. It's going to be on the screen as well, but I want to read a verse from Malachi, the great Italian prophet, Malachi. Man, you guys are missing it today. It's Malachi. It's, you know, Malachi for chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, where it says this. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I think I am wrong on that. It needs to be. Am I right? I am, but I'm looking at, I'm looking at Malachi. What's the deal? No, I'll just read it from the screen, I guess. Oh, that's, that's right. I, I guess I'm, I'm turned 44 and I might need glasses. I was reading verse six. That was a first. Okay, I'm having a moment now. That's not cool. <laughs> My eyes used to be 2020. Those of you that need glasses, you can raise your hands. I don't know if I need, wow, that's a real big moment. All right, verse eight. All right, will, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing... Until there is no more need. And so God asked the truth question. He's kind of playing truth or dare in here. And he says, will a man rob God? And then he answers it, yes, we can. By how? By withholding our gifts, our tithes. Then God presents the dare. He says, if you bring your full tithes to the storehouse, if you bring your gifts into the, into the storehouse, the church, and he says, he says, test me in this. He says, just give it a try. I dare you. I dare you to try. The truth in this case is surrounded by a curse. If we're truly robbing God, our finances are cursed. But if we take the dare and make it happen, our finances and our lives are blessed. It's a promise from God. and It's the only place in the Bible where God really does say, I dare you. I dare you. But if in reality, if we look around our world today, times are hard, aren't they? Financially, times are difficult. Gas prices, through the roof. Most of us are probably spending at least 50 bucks a week on gas where maybe we were spending 20 bucks a week. I don't know. My gas bill has gone up a ton in, in the driving that, that, that I do, you know. And for those of you like <laughs> some of that, that have farther to drive, gas bill just turned into a house payment, right? Groceries going up, you know. If you have the money to be able to go out, man, that's going up. Everything is going up. And ultimately, we're seeing that impact here at the River Church as well. Over 2022, the giving trend has been in a downward trend, and especially over the last couple of months, we've seen giving go down even more. And um, first of all, I want to say that there are many of us here that have been faithful in giving, even in the midst of that. And I want to say thank you to those of you that have been faithful in giving. 
Some of us may have never given before and we're like, oh, I was raised in a home that told me we didn't make enough money to give. So I wasn't even trained to actually give to the Lord. And um, ultimately, this is never a topic that is fun for any pastor to bring up um, from the stage, right? And yet, giving of our finances is no different than being in the word, than praying to God, than being in community together and growing. It's a discipleship thing. It's, it's us pointing our lives to the Lord. And unfortunately, when times get hard, sometimes we pull our attention away from God. And the first thing to go is our time with the Lord. The first thing to go is spending time in prayer. The first thing to go is giving some of what God gave to us back to the Lord. And we get to start to look to other things to fulfill us in times when times are hard. And the same thing happens to our generosity. And so God has told us here, though, that if, he, if we give, he will bless us. Now, that this isn't a prosperity gospel that, well, you know, I'm selling you uh, this little bottle of water this morning. And for $29.95, if you get this, water, uh, this little bottle of water, you can pour that over your wallet. And it's just going to spring forth all kinds of money. Amen? That's not going to happen this morning, all right? That's not at all what God's saying. That's not what I'm saying this morning either. But I will tell you that as we obey God, whether that's in our finances, as we're talking now, or whether that's in our attitudes, whether that's in our purity of mind, whether that is loving other people, that opens up the floodgates of God to be able to bless us because we're obedient. That's no different than our kids, right? When our kids are being obedient, what do we as parents want to do? We want to bless our children. When they're not obedient, what do we have to do? We have to withhold blessing because we're being a good parent. We want to make sure that we're guiding them in the right way to become the little boys, little girls that, they are, that, that they're meant to be. And God does the same thing with us. And so going back to what God said in Malachi chapter 3, I just want to challenge us this morning. If you're giving, that's great. If you've never given, get with God and to ask how much he may have you give. But will you choose to the truth or the dare of what God said here? Because God wants to bless us. And he says, man, test me. If I, were not, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing for you until there is no more need. Until there is no more need. And so are we brave enough to take God at his word in this? Are we brave enough to do that? As we think about giving our time, our talent, and our treasure. So it's just, it's just a quick, quick encouragement this morning. You know, we want you to know that, that, that we're heading into a new season of ministry. We've got a lot of things coming. And as you give, you're giving to the gospel going forward in our communities. And so if you have any questions about that, please feel free to talk to me later. I would answer any questions you have. Um, but uh, we just want to be sure we're encouraged to continue to give as well. Because when times get hard, it can be easy to, to neglect that as well. Okay? Let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to work alongside you in what you are doing in our communities, in our homes, in our church. Um, God, it's just an honor to be able to do that, Lord. And, and God, I pray that as we talk, have talked about giving and as we talk about what it means to be a light in the world, Lord, I pray that, God, you would challenge us this morning. You'd encourage us. The Lord, the strength that we need comes from you. It's not an inner strength that we are just going to do things naturally the way you call us to. It's your spirit that is upon us that allows us to obey you and calls us to do that and gives us the strength to do that. And so, God, we just give you this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this Sermon on the Mount that we get to focus on, this message that you gave Jesus. And I just pray that as we talk this morning, Lord, we would point our lives more toward you in every area of our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, and in our strength, that we would love you with all we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go over your Bible a few pages since we were already in Malachi, only a few pages over to chapter 5 of Matthew. It's right there. How convenient, right? It's like that was planned or something. Not really. Um, but uh, we're back to the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Um, I, I love this series. 
Uh, last week, um, we learned about, we talked about the Beatitudes and how Jesus is kind of setting the tone of what it looks like to be a follower of his. It's not an all-encompassing list in the first part of chapter 5, nor is it meant to be a guilt trip that if you're not living this way, Jesus is all upset and all that stuff. He's saying, look, this is what a follower of mine looks like. And these are the blessings that have come as a result of that. When you point your life at me, these are the blessings that come. And so we talked about that last week. Um, and, but these are also things that happen to us as, real, as we realize the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how awesome the cross is and that the cross stands above it all. We become um, somebody who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. We, we are poor in spirit. We mourn over our sin. We, we become meek. We, we are merciful. We're pure in heart. And we become a peacemaker. And then last week, we finished with that first little section in verse 13, talking about what salt is for. It's for preservation. We talked about being the salt of the earth and why Jesus talked about salt, us being salt, being a preservative in the world. Just by being present and being Christ's child, being part of the family of God, we preserve the world around us because the world around us is rotting away and is getting effectively worse. Living as Jesus in our neighborhoods. But this is who we are as Jesus followers. We are salt. It's kind of a definition of us. The question was last week, who do we live for? And how does our lives season the people around us with Jesus Christ? And we point people to Jesus because of who we are now. We are ambassadors for Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are now ambassadors of his. But we have to be careful that we're not diluted because salt loses its saltiness. It's not good for anything anymore. And so we don't want to be diluted by the world either. And if we have been diluted, what do we do? We go back to Jesus who replenishes our saltiness. And we can, be, and we can, t- we can continue to be used. We talked about those Latin words last week that we need to be about sola fide, only by faith alone. Sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Sola, sola Christus. By Christ alone, in Jesus alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, and soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. That's what it means to be defined as being salt of the earth. And as we consider what it means to be salt, last week, Jesus now calls us something different. Let's look at that. It's in verses 14 to 16 there, and it says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but it is on a stand. And it gives light to all, the, all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How many people just sang the song in their head? Anybody? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This is a lot of mine. Anyway, that's a, if, if you've been around church for a long time, you know that song, right? And you're probably going to be singing it all morning. That's good. I'm glad. Um, sing it out. That, that'd be good. But light, what does light do? It dispels darkness. You need to recognize that darkness does not overcome light. It doesn't work that way. Darkness does not overcome light because darkness is the absence of light. It's the absence of it. It's not an overcoming thing. It's the absence of it. And I, in our world, when I hear, uh, I talk to people, a lot of people around me, especially in, in, in circles in our community, I hear a lot about being a light. Just be a light. To the people around us, in workplaces, what does that even mean? in our world to be a light? Well, it means a lot of things, right? It means doing good to other people, which that's a huge, I mean, that's not even a really definitive statement. It's doing, what does good even mean? Good could be, and by definition of the world, calling something evil good, right? I mean, we have to be careful with that. Show others what you're worth. We can hear that. That's being a light, letting your inner, your personal light out for the world to see. Be who you are, no matter what, right? Light comes from within each person. We hear comments like that. Making others feel good. Making yourself feel good brings light into our world. Being kind. Light comes through knowledge. Light comes through knowledge. 
And that last thing, that was something that actually came from the Enlightenment period uh, all the way back in the 17th and the 18th century. Enlightenment, right? The light bulb goes on. That was the idea of the 17th and 18th century. And it was a period, honestly, that got us to where we are today. It started the process of knowledge and information being the focus and being the center of what really we believe in as a culture. Knowledge about the world around us brought light. It brought enlightenment. It was enlightening. It was bringing light. And honestly, if we think about it, it really has been. The the progress we've seen in technology, in medicine, in industry has arisen out of the enlightenment period. Okay, so knowledge isn't a bad thing to pursue. Knowledge we should pursue. These are good things. It is interesting, though, what the Bible has to say about knowledge when left by itself. Because in 1 Corinthians 8.1, it says that it puffs up. It puffs us up. Knowledge is a great thing. In fact, I think we as Christians need to know more about why we believe what we believe because I believe Christianity, I believe what we see in God's word is a rational faith. I believe there is things, evidences in the world that we see that proves God's word to be true every day. The more we get to know about the world around us, it reveals the glory of God because the Bible tells us that. The heavens declare the glory of God. It all declares the glory of God. I'm sorry, when you look at the human body and anatomy, I, how, I, we don't even know why things work the way they do. We just know that they do. Blows my mind how atoms work. We know how they work, but we don't know everything about it. And we're spending all of our time trying to learn. I think that's great, but it can puff us up and make us think that we are more than we actually are. In fact, it can cause us to begin to believe that we are little g gods, that we have the power within ourselves to do whatever we want. We should always be seeking truth. And I, because I believe the more we pursue knowledge, it'll guide us into the more knowledge of who God is and how he reveals himself in nature and how he's revealed himself through his word. But the problem is when we place knowledge in the place of divine revelation, when we place knowledge over who God is because we think we've moved past who God is. Knowledge is though we know enough to be rid of the idea of God, which was a concept that came directly from the Enlightenment. But when you think about all the knowledge that we have, what do we really know about? Our knowledge is a knowledge of things. It's a knowledge of the material world around us. We have learned how to make widgets and gadgets and, you know, all those things. I mean, that just, you know, you drive a car. Can you imagine what it would have been like in Jesus' day to have somebody have the idea that a car would have even been a thing? I mean, traveling as fast as we do, flying. We take these things for granted. I mean, you can wear a watch on your wrist that tells you what your heart rate is and what your pulse ox is. In fact, one of the newer watches that just came out, you can, it's a diving computer. It tells you how deep you are in the ocean or how high you are on a mountain. On your wrist. They're working on the ability to do both blood, uh, blood pressure and blood sugar without pricking your skin and getting blood on your wrist. Not only that, you can call people. Hi, Dick Tracy, for those of you that remember who that is, Right? And we can take this stuff for granted and we go, but yet this knowledge is something that's a good thing. It, it's led us to, I guess we could say a lot of, wait a minute. Yep, Siri just talked to me. Thought I heard that. Um, and they talk to you. All right. Um, but we would have never even thought of this 10 years ago. Knowledge isn't a bad thing, but when it takes us away from God, the direction of that knowledge isn't remaining true to what knowledge eventually does because knowledge leads us to truth and so it's not that we shouldn't go after knowledge but when we're left to ourselves because the problem of life so we have we have all this knowledge about things but we don't know how the spirit works we don't know what happens after life after death we can't figure that out we can't really figure out the origin of the universe even though we have theories that try to come up with that not when left to ourselves 
Because when we're left to ourselves, there's no light. Only darkness reigns. And we see it in the world around us. Because it seems darkness seems to be getting deeper. People are running away from the light. People continually run away from light. John 8, 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. My friends, Jesus is the light that we so desperately need. And we realize this because of the darkness that surrounds us every single day. But it's actually a pretty awesome thing that Jesus is saying here. Because again, when we really get into scripture and we understand what's going on, things are so much more meaningful than just reading that. I mean, we can walk away from that and go, yeah, Jesus is the light. That's great. We know he's the savior of the world. The world around us is dark. We can walk away from that and say, yeah, we recognize that. We see good being called evil and evil being called good. We, re- we can recognize those things. But there's a bigger picture being that Jesus is, is showing here. So when Jesus proclaimed that to the people, that he's the light of the world, It was actually immediately after a nighttime ceremony in the temple of Jerusalem called the illumination of the temple. It was a time that celebrated and reminded the people in Jerusalem of when God led led the people of Israel out of Egypt by a pillar of fire. And so what happened was, is they had these huge candelabras, these massive candelabras that were as tall as the highest points of the wall of the temple. And having been to the temple, the current temple walls, where the temple mount is, where the Dome of the Rock currently sits, I think was about 40, 50 feet high. And I was able to stand at the bottom of one of the, one of the tallest points of the, temple, of the temple wall now and look up and it's massive. That's like a third of how tall those walls were in the, t- during, in, in the time of Jesus. The temple, Herod's temple during Jesus' day, was intense. It was massive. It was impressive. It was beautiful and it was ornate. And these candelabras were like 100 feet in the air. They were huge. And they, could have, they had these bowls that went on top of it that could hold up to 65 liters of oil with wicks protruding from them. And so when evening came in this ceremony, these young priests would climb up to the top of these ladders with these bowls full of oil. So these are, they had to be young priests because, well, older, older priests might have had some trouble with this. And so they traveled up these, uh, up these candelabras. They put them on top of these candelabras and they would light these wicks. And the light from those massive candelabras would not only light up the temple, it would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. And after those torches were shining above the people, the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish rabbinical writings, tells us that men of piety and good works used to dance before them with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praises, and countless Levites, other priests, played on harps, lyres, cymbals, and trumpets and instruments of music. This inspired the worship of God because it reminded them of what God had done bringing the people out of Egypt as a pillar of fire. And the following morning, I can imagine those candelabras were still smoking from the evening light. Jesus stands before the temple and he says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine that picture of seeing this massive thing? And Jesus stands there and says, I am the light of the world. The light that he, he's saying, the light that reminds you of what God did, that was me. The pillar of fire that you remember that led you in the wilderness, that light that led you out of Egypt, the light that filled the tabernacle and the temple from what you've learned in the Old Testament and the word, the light that guided you here is now with you and stands before you. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm the light of the world. My friends, he is still that light. He is still the source of that light. He changed the world by coming, living his life as an example for us to follow. And if we've seen Jesus, what have we seen? We've seen God. We have no other place to look as he is God and he's paid our debt. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. He's our provider. He's our protector. 
And he shines light when there is such deep darkness. He alone is the light of the world. But then Jesus says something interesting because he said that. And then in John chapter 3, just a few chapters before that, Jesus was talking to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And you're going to hear John 3.16. Most of us know that verse. We see it. We we at least know the reference because we see it at football games. You know, John 3.16. But he goes and talks to this guy, Nicodemus, who was a religious leader of the day. And all of his friends wanted Jesus dead. All of his friends were ticked off at Jesus. And Nicodemus is going, wait, there's something about this guy. I want to hear what he has to say. And so he goes to him in the middle of the night. And he asks him all these questions about who he is and and what does it mean to to know God. and, And how do you get born again? And all these things that Jesus talks about. And Jesus answers him, and he, and he says in John three sixteen to 21, it starts with, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he starts out with, I'm gonna, I have come from the Father to save the world, to give up my life for the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in him, what he's saying, what happens? You stand condemned because of your sin. You stand in what? Darkness. But Jesus takes it a bit further and he says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. He's referring to himself. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. My friends, remember, what is darkness? It's the absence of light. And so if that remains true, what is the darkness we see in the world today? It's an absence of Jesus. It's an absence of Jesus in the world around us. And we see it, man. When people, you can talk about God, right? So many times, I I can have conversations about God or the big man upstairs. We can talk generally about God. But when you start talking about the name of Jesus, the conversation changes. And all of a sudden, you turn into, I don't know, you the the pumpkin, I guess. (laughs) Right? When we, 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 when we invoke the name of Jesus, there's something about his name. Because he's the light of the world. He alone brings light. And where, the, where he isn't, there is darkness. And, because sometimes it seems as though when darkness is present, when we look, I mean, all you got to do is watch the news. And it can feel overwhelming. It feels dark. It feels like the darkness is so big. And Jesus tells us that people love the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness rather than the light. People want to do whatever they want, so they stay away from Jesus. They want to be their own little G-God, unless we believe we're any different just because we're sitting in a church. Every single one of us likes to be our own little G-God in our lives too. That's why we need him. Because darkness can creep into our lives where in those spots where we don't allow the light to shine. But it's even deeper here because Jesus says that people loved darkness rather than the light. Now we're talking about an intentional darkness. This isn't just a darkness that happens. This is, look, I'm, I'm running away from the light. I'm turning the lights out. I want it to be dark completely because I don't want anybody to see what I'm doing. And the world is in darkness, and where Jesus is absent, darkness reigns. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, because there's no need for shame. So Jesus is the light of the world. We've defined that. We know what darkness looks like. We, we know that darkness is the absence of light, and darkness in our world is the absence of Jesus. Jesus takes it a step further, and let's go back to where we were in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you are the light of the world. Now he says, you and I are the light of the world. Excuse me, what? I mean, 
Maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I know me. I'm not always very light. (laughs) Right? So being salt is who we are. Being light is how we live. Being light is how we live. Jesus calls his followers the light of the world here. You and I are the light of the world. But there's more to that too, because the word Jesus used here, he's actually not just calling you and I the light of the world, just saying you are the light of the world. He's saying you and you alone are the light of the world. He's being even more specific here. The Greek word here is individual. You and you alone are the light of the world. Nowhere else is the light of the world found except for in the followers of Christ. Nowhere else. Why did Jesus say that? Because he knew that the Holy Spirit was coming. He knew that the Holy Spirit, when when he left, in fact, he told his disciples, his disciples were like, man, we don't want you to leave. What's going on? And Jesus said this, that the Holy Spirit inside you is going to be better than me beside you. It's imperative that I leave so that the comforter can come and be in you and dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit came. And you know that glory that we saw in the temple in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God, referenced by this thing we just talked about on the temple, the, the, the illumination of those lights and those candelabras representing the glory of God. Guess where the temple of God is now? It's in you and me. You and you alone are are the light of the world. You don't just carry it. You have become it because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The only place where the light of the world would be is within those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. But if I think about my own life, if I really think about it, how often do we think there's light or good outside of who Jesus is or what he's done. We think we can find light in other places and other people and other things. But Jesus is saying something huge here, that this light of the world, the light that overcomes darkness, is found only in his followers. I wasn't planning on saying this, but it's interesting how we often pray that God would overcome the darkness. And I can hear God say, that's why you're there. Because he's going to use us to overcome the darkness in the circle of the world in which we live. Because Jesus, as we live for him, comes out of us when we really point our lives at him. And there's two ways that we're the light of Jesus. First of all, we, there is a reality of the fact that the light that we have, we are not the source of. Okay, We have to know that. No one has light in and of themselves because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Okay? There is no light in and of ourselves. That light only comes from God. And in one real sense, we reflect the light of Jesus. We reflect him. It's not us. It's him, right? That's why I said, when we point our lives at Jesus, Jesus comes out. On Friday night, I was driving home from a meeting about 8, 9 o'clock at night. And I don't know if you were out at all Friday night, but the moon was magnificent. It was beautiful, full moon, you know, and I, was, and I was in the middle of thinking about, you know, the message. I, I'm always thinking about it throughout the week when I have moments of trying to figure out how God might want, to, want me to say stuff. And, and I was thinking about the message, and I saw that moon, and I went, man, if there was no sun, we would not see the moon. It would be a pitch black sky. But because there's the sun, the moon reflects the light of that sun. And in the same way, we're the light of the world. We reflect the light of the world to the people around us. It's not our own goodness. It's only his goodness. And so we reflect that light. In fact, we used to be in darkness, but now we can live in children of light. Ephesians 5.8 says this, for at one time you were darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We can do that now because of Jesus, not because of ourselves, but because of what Jesus has done in us. 
But here's the other thing. We also have that light of Jesus in us. Yes, we reflect that light and know that we are not the source of that light, but now the source of that light dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And and as we live more like Jesus would have, that light shines in the darkness. But let's look a little bit more at what Jesus is saying. So we know that he's calling us the light of the world, but how does that mean we should live? So he goes on, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Have you ever flown at night? I kind of like flying at night. Planes are a little quieter typically. Um, it's super dark, so you can sleep a little better. At least I can. Of course, for me, anytime I'm in a plane, it's like, hmm. so, you know, it's an interesting deal. But when you look out at night, what do you see if you're flying over the, over the planes? A lot of nothing. It's just dark, right? But you can be at 35, 36, 38,000 feet and see a little home with a light on, if you really look for it, that high. But then when you're flying, I really love flying into cities, because when you're flying into a city, it's just, it's really beautiful. It's, you see how the city is laid out, you see the streets and, 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 and straight lines, and, and how different things are plotted out, because the light from that can't be hidden, Light cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's reality. And then he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all around the house. Hide it under a bushel. Okay, that was weak. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. That's right. Told you we sing it some more. But this next illustration, <coughs> in Jesus' day, people in Jerusalem specifically, but all over the, the, the known world, had these little lamps. They were little. You would hold them. You've seen them kind of probably in movies. Had a little bit of oil and a wick. And that's how they lit their house. And in order to get around the house, they would just kind of walk with it like this, and it would shine a little bit. But what did they do? Did they put it under a basket to make cool designs on the walls? No, that's not what they did. They put it on a stand. Why? Because when you put it on a stand, it would light the whole house. It lights the whole house. The commentator, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, says of this passage, if we find ourselves, in ourselves, a tendency to put the light under a bushel or under a basket, we must begin to examine ourselves And make sure that what we have is really light. If we feel like we have to hide what we have from other people, is what we have really the light of Christ? Because Jesus' command here is so important in verse 16. Because the darkness is getting darker. but don't lose hope because it cannot overcome the light. It cannot overcome the light. He says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in the same way that we've just learned that a city on a hill cannot be hidden and that a light which lights up the entire house is not put under a basket or under a bowl, but it's put on a stand. We are to let that light that comes from Jesus to shine in our lives. And my friends, if it's Jesus, it can't be hidden. It can't be hidden. In fact, I wonder if the opposite's true. If we feel like we can hide it, is it really Jesus? The Apostle Paul said that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power under the God for salvation. And there is no other name under heaven by which men and women must be saved, and that name is Jesus. Let me also propose, my friends, that the darkness gets darker if we don't shine the light of Christ. Because remember, darkness is the what? Absence. Of light. If you are light, let it shine. Let it shine. So how do we do that? 
How do we let that light shine? Well, Jesus told us. By what? By doing good works. By doing what we've said a long time. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what else do you do? You love your neighbor as yourself. The idea was not that we need to love ourselves. I actually heard somebody say recently that Jesus' whole point of saying that was that you need to love yourselves more. Are you kidding me? What are we doing to the word of God? The whole idea was that we love ourselves, we take care of ourselves, of course we do. Love your neighbor that much that you would take care of them too. That's what Jesus is saying. See, in the, in the absence of light, truth, there's darkness. Even when coming to the word of God when you want to say what you want to say. Light is so important. Doing good works, loving those around us, helping people, giving glory to God at every chance we get. But the word that Jesus used, Jesus used here for good works also carries a connotation to it. These are works in that the word carries a meaning of attractiveness or beauty. These good works have attractiveness and beauty to them. It's helping people. It's smiling when people don't expect it. It's, I saw a meme this week of, like a, a, of two townhomes that shared like one walk, and there was snow on it, and one side was completely clear, and the other side had snow on it. And the meme said, don't ever let me be like the person on the left, which is the one that had his walk clean and didn't clean the other, other side. You know? And yet... We can get so focused on ourselves that we're not loving well in hard times. My friends, when times get hard, we need the light even more. We need the light of Christ even more. And he says, for what? In verse 16. So that they may what? See your good works, right? These works of beauty and attractiveness and what? Give glory to God, your Father, who's in heaven. What do you give glory to? What do you give glory to? We're about to enter a political season of voting before November. What are you giving glory to? Because ain't nobody elected the light of the world. What are we giving glory to? What do we talk the most about? What does our lives give glory to? Is it to what we think will save us? or who we know will save us, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We give glory to God the Father. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We give glory to him alone. I'm going to say it again. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola scriptura, by God's word alone. Sola Christus, by Christ alone. Sola gratia, by faith alone. And soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. It's to him. Let the light of Jesus shine through you so others will see him in the middle of darkness. Let the light of Jesus shine through you so brightly so that others are going to see him in the middle of the darkness. I want to try something this morning. Let's turn out all the lights in the room. Be ready. Here it goes. It's going to get completely dark. All the lights out. Every single one. Let's go ahead and hit blank on the, on the, on the projector too. I love it. All right. One little light. What does it do? You can now see me, right? One little light. Everybody take out your phones. If you can find them now. <laughs> Since you turned out the lights. Everybody turn on your lights. When you have them on, I want you to lift them up. Look at what just happened in this room. Darkness didn't overcome the lights. The light overcame the darkness. You can turn the lights back up. And that's what this is about. Now if we can figure out how to turn our lights, our lights off. <laughs> but that's what this is about. Light overcomes the darkness. But see, I love it because I think Jesus is saying even more here. 
Because the light on, the, on, a, on a hill, the city on a hill is there for a reason, for protection. But the light placed in the house is placed on a stand strategically. So are you placed where you are by the very hand of God. Strategically. To shine the light of Christ where he has called you to shine the light of Christ. He's put you right where he wants you. For some of us, that may even be hard to hear because where you're at right now kind of hurts. But it's in those moments we go back and say, it's not my light that I shine because right now I ain't got any. It's Jesus. He alone is faithful. We just sang about how great his faithfulness is and that my anchor to the ground is Jesus Christ. He is our firm foundation. And because he is our firm foundation, we can shine the light of Christ as he dwells in us, no matter the circumstance. In fact, in the middle of circumstances, the light of Christ can shine brighter because people come to you and go, why in the world are you the way you are? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Because quite honestly, this is terrible. But Jesus is greater. God has and will make you visible like a city on a hill. He will allow you to shine his light into dark places. And our lives are meant to show who Jesus is and reveal what is even being done in darkness. Because where there is no light, there is darkness. Matthew 13, 43, Jesus said, Then the righteous will shine like the sun on the kingdom, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. I don't love long quotes, but this quote, it was just so good by Dr. Lloyd-Jones again. I've got to read it to you because it summarizes everything that this light of the world is all about. It says, The problem of man is the problem of a fallen, sinful, polluted nature. Can nothing be done about it? We've tried knowledge. We've tried education. We've tried political enactments. We've tried international conference. We've tried them all, but nothing avails. Is there no hope? Yes, there is abundant and everlasting hope because Jesus said, you must be born again. What man needs is not more light. He needs a nature that will love the light and hate the darkness. The exact opposite of his loving the darkness and hating the light. Man needs to be taken a hold of and he needs to get back to God. But we can't tell him just that. Because if we do, we're leaving, the, we're leaving everyone in a greater state of hopelessness. We can't just tell people they need to get back to God. Because they will never find their way back to God, try as they might. Christian, the Christ follower, is here to tell him that there is a way to God, a very simple one. It's to know the one person called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the son of God, and he came from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to illumine the darkness, to expose the cause of the darkness, and to make a new and living way out of it all back to God and to heaven. He has not only borne the guilt of this terrible sinfulness that has involved us in such trouble, he offers us new life and a new nature. He does not merely give us new teaching or new understanding of the problem. He doesn't merely procure pardon for our past sins. He makes us new people with new desires, new aspirations, a new outlook and a new orientation. But above all, he gives us that new life, the life that loves the light and hates the darkness instead of loving the darkness and hating the light. He goes on and he says, Christian people, you and I are living in the midst of men and women who are in a state of gross darkness. They will never have any light anywhere in this world except from you and from me and the gospel we believe and teach. They are watching us. Do they see something different about us? Are our lives a silent rebuke to them? Do we live as to lead them to come and ask us, why do you always look so peaceful? How is it you are so balanced? How can you stand up to the things as you do? Why is it you are not dependent upon artificial aids and pleasures as we are? What is this thing that you've got? And if they do, we can then tell, we can then tell them that wondrous, amazing, 
but tragically neglected news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and to give men a new nature and a new life and to make them children of God. Christian people alone are the light of the world today. Let us live and function as children of the light. So how do we do that? We let people see the good works, the beautiful and attractive works. Why? Not because people are projects, but because we actually love them. We actually love them. He's calling you and I to shine brightly where he has us. I also want to ask, do you have the light of Jesus in you? Because if you don't, you can accept him right where you sit because there is a God who loves you. There is the truth that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's the truth that the payment of sin is death, but his gift is eternal life. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, you can do that right where you sit by saying, Jesus, I believe who you are. I believe who you say you are, that you're the son of God you died for my sin and that you rose from the dead and then you will forgive me of my sin if I ask. So Jesus, I ask your forgiveness today and I make you Lord of my life. I give you my life and he'll save you where you sit. He'll save you right where you sit. But Christ follower, let me remind you, there will come a day when darkness is no more. There will come a day when darkness is no more. But until that day, shine the light of Christ everywhere you go it's not your light it's his point to him so let's covenant to shine brightly together let's covenant to expose ourselves to the face of Jesus in prayer covenant to go to him let's covenant to be visible for him don't hide yourself under a bushel when we get that tendency we need to say no I'm going to let it shine covenant to do beautiful works. Let's covenant to remind ourselves that we will always be light and to remind each other that we'll always be light and to live in that reality. My friends, soli Deo Gloria. Let's live for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you alone are the light of the world, but how crazy is it that you have called us to be the light of the world? But I think we all know in our own lives that we are not always the best at reflecting your light, that we're not always the best of living into the light of Jesus. But Holy Spirit, we ask you today that you would mold us and shape us. That God, you would help us to shine light into the darkness. And that as we think darkness gets stronger, may we be reminded that the darkness can never overcome the light. Help us to show your glory by good works, works that are beautiful, that are attractive, that, that, that will make people go, why would you do that? Lord, help us love like Jesus showed us how to love. And may we do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.